Hey, Elliot. Hey, Brian. What's the talk of the table? This week, we're sitting down with Momatos, designer of such games as Ark, The Magus, There is a Light at the Edge of the World, just to name a few. You may know her from her games or the creation and maintenance of Across RPGC, a comprehensive database of Southeast Asian RPGs. Momatos has done work for such projects as the Islands of Sina Una and our friends at Soul Muppet Publishing for Orbital Blues. She is a Big Bad POC scholar, a Diana Jones Award winner for Best Emerging Designer, and one of the most requested interview guests from our Discord, Momatos. Welcome to the show. So good to have you. Oh, thank you so much for welcoming me. It's so great to meet two of you as well. So we kind of love to, at the top of the show, lay out our our goal for the conversation, what we want to get into. So our goal is really to dive into ultimately your work as a designer, but specifically to talk about how you wear all these hats as a designer. You know, you're a writer, you're an illustrator, you do layout and sort of take each one of those in turn. And as we go through those, I also want to talk about this idea of wondrous storytelling, which is the first thing you see when you go to your website and how that informs your work. So could you kind of, to start us off, define like what is wondrous storytelling to you and maybe how does it inform your work at large? So when I was a teenager, I sought a lot of refuge in Dragonlance novels. So I was under a blanket fort, reading all of these books, dreaming about bigger worlds, adventure, camaraderie, and dragons, of course. And I think I want to capture that sort of sense of wonder and adventure in my stories. And it's something that I really want to do is to enable people to create stories of their own so that they could create compelling narratives that really make their wonders come true. Amazing. So I kind of first discovered your work through Arc, which is not only a, a really great game from a, a mechanics and, and design perspective, but as a book is just this beautiful piece of art. It was one of the early games that I bought on my shelf when I was getting into indie TTRPGs. I think most people listening probably know about Arc, but maybe just for those who don't, could you kind of tell at a top level what Arc the game is? Sure. So basically, it's an RPG where you slay the apocalypse. So there is a real-time timer counting down to the doom, and you have to work together to fight that doom so to save the world that you care about. So it's basically roll under using D6, but there are also a lot of really tiny cool things like uh, making sure that the not just the skills, but you're also using your approaches your problem-solving uh, methods such as creativity, concerted effort, carefulness, and there's also tiny things like the magic system, which you need to replenish by doing some small rituals like eating a door or burying some bones under a tree. <laughs> I do really love um, reading through Arc was possibly the first time I'd really encountered something that does both like turns in combat as a uh, measure of time like in game time and also real time mechanics like you don't get the spell back until 15 minutes of real time and I really love what that opens up for playing at a table and, and the same thing to be said of like the doomsday clock counting down both when things happen and just every 30 minutes you're getting closer to doomsday or, or every TK minutes um, 
I don't have a question for that. I just <laughs> like it. <laughs> I think one of the other things that really struck me in rereading ARC this week was that first like 20 pages or so, I was – it's such a, a wonderful – introductory onboarding text like I feel like I feel like it would be really effective as somebody's first RPG like you you do a really great job of like holding the reader's hand but not like patronizing them like it's like it's very much just like here's why this is appealing here's why you would want to play this game and here's how you do it in a in a thoughtful way I'm curious if like first time players were on your mind when you were when you were writing the beginnings of ARC yeah definitely and also a lot of the guidance towards end is also geared towards first time uh game masters as well. Cause I really wanted to make the experience as smooth as possible, regardless of experience level. In fact, one of the feedback I got was that they wish this was the first RPG they played because of the way it was structured mm. and written. Yeah, totally. I that's exactly how I felt. I was like, I feel like this would have like onboarded me in a much smoother way than D&D, which was my my first RPG, as as it is for so many. Most um, things would onboard you more smoothly than D&D, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. That is, that is true. That is true. Um, so, ARC is this amazing book, and I, you know, I, I flipped through it the first time, and like, I saw like, oh, the art is incredible, and the layout is incredible, and I'm really enjoying like the reading and the writing, and then you flip to the credits, and that's all you. <laughs> uh, so you're you're wearing all these hats, but I want to break down each of those hats of like game designer, writer, illustrator, and layout designer. So starting with um, as a designer and a writer, I'm curious how you approach a project from that lens specifically, and maybe using Arc as an example since we've been talking about that. Mm. So basically, the first thing I do is make sure that design makes sense, that design flows cohesively, that it creates uh, the experience that I intend for the players to experience, whether that's a tense apocalypse slaying or whether it's more of like trying to overcome loneliness and work together in a lighthouse. So for me, the mechanics need to support that narrative. And then the writing comes next, trying to make evocative uh, imagery and making sure that the mechanics is understandable, making sure that it sounds like it makes sense, and making sure that basically it flows smoothly so that when you read it, it's like, oh, I get it. This is how the mechanics work. And it also gives me an idea of how the world and the narrative meshes together with those mechanics. How would you sort of like define your, I guess, like where what you gravitate towards as a as a designer and writer? Because it seems like you have a big breadth of of styles of game. Is there like a certain thing that you like certain things within design that you that you respond to specifically? I think it's there's some phases. Like there was a time I was really into using playing cards for it. There was also a time I was really using six sided dice. So it's kind of all over the place. I really want to explore different kinds of play. Like I think that's one of the fun things about being a game designer is that you have a lot of freedom to play with mechanics, to play with writing, to come up with a variety of experiences for players to have. So I don't have any particular design trend or pattern, but maybe in the future there will be one. When the historians look back. Yeah, exactly. I am curious. I feel like after reading ARC, I felt like ARC was a very 
unique game for a lot of different reasons that, that I've kind of mentioned, like the, the real time versus in-game time and some of the, like the dice mechanics were very, very cool. What game designers right now are you looking to as like inspirations or are really doing things that you're excited about? So I think definitely one of the inspirations, especially for the Magus, was Team Hutching's Thousand-Year-Old Vampire. Really fantastic, really evocative work. And an inspiration to writing because of the way that the prompts were laid out, the way that the world was laid out, really inspirational stuff. And I think for the mechanics, I really, really love what the uh, Mega Baker and Vincent Baker did with Apocalypse World because I felt like that was the mm-hmm. mechanics that really supported the story and the world really tightly. And it is wonderful to play as a whole and also sparks so many imaginative games. And I'm also a fan of Avery Alder. The Quiet Year was like a, whoa, this is such a good play experience yeah, moment for me. The Quiet Year does really do do it different. It's one of those things where, like, from the moment you see it, especially now that the physical edition exists, you're just like, oh, this is going to do something. Yeah. This is going to do something unique. Um, I want to talk about the, the Magus specifically as a way to sort of switch to one of your other hats, which is which is layout designer or layout artist. I'm not sure which which do you prefer, layout designer or layout artist? You know, that's a good question. I guess designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard because I can see the argument for both terms. Um, but especially with a game like the Magus, because like that's the like when you're I looking through it digitally and I haven't had a chance to to see it physically, but there's this really I, it's hard to describe for a listening audience what the Magus looks like. So I, I can recommend to listeners go pick up the Magus and like look at it while while we're talking about this. But I think that that, in addition to Arc, is a really great example of I think you have a really unique approach to layout. You know, I think that like I feel like if I see your layout in the wild, I would know it was yours relative to the to the world. Um, and I'm curious how you approach layout and like how you think about layout and what sort of stylistically you enjoy within layout. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of reminded by somebody saying that fine arts is making people ask questions. Illustration is answering questions like constraint, specs, making sure that it fits the narrative that the commissioner wants to have. And I think I see layout as kind Mm. of similar. It's problem solving. And the problem is legibility and aesthetics, fitting everything into a page and making sure it's understandable. So it's kind of an interesting brain challenge to make sure that uh, all of those elements are in the page. And then aesthetics comes into play once you have the legibility. Um, okay, so I see the legibility as the foundation and the aesthetics as the cherry on the top. That's a great answer. When we were doing my game this year, Project Echo, and I was working with Brian, who did the layout for that game, you know, there it is uh, for, <laughs> for, for the listening audience. For the listening um, audience. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about because like Brian and I are our friends first and collaborator second is like trying to work out uh, a payment structure for layout. And one of the things that helped me figure out like how to price layout work and have figure help Brian figure out how to price layout work is your website, which you have this really, really clear way of laying out. Like here are the three levels of the kind of layout I do. And here's what they cost. It's such a good website. It's such it, a good it, website. Honestly, it like, was broadly. like I had no idea what to 
be, I had nowhere to begin of like, what does this cost? Because I've like never really done it in any kind of professional sense. And looking at that, I was like, this is so helpful. Why doesn't everyone just have their rates laid out really clearly with great examples? Uh, it Really a godsend. Like everyone should take anyone who's interested in like layout or writing or illustration and wants to do it. Like go look at Amato's website and like see what is happening there and just do that. Everyone should have that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's not a question there. Just just praise to praise to the way you've laid out your your rates and everything. Thank um, you. I guess like how do you think about because obviously layout is something I think you've done for for other people beyond your own games. And how do you how do you think about it differently when it's when it's somebody else's game versus yours? Right. Or so, is it different? Maybe it's not. Yeah, it, it's a little bit different because. Sometimes it depends on what kind of images they want to put into the game. Sometimes those images aren't available, so I have to rely more on typography, uh, using white space. And unlike some of my games where I could just quickly make a doodle to put on the page, I may not have that freedom for the other games that I lay out. So it's kind of a more tricky challenge to tackle. I get that, yeah. Yeah, like you like you you find when you're doing the layout and the illustration, you if there's a hole, you're like, Oh, I can make I can make a small illustration yeah. to go right in there. But if you're on a team, you can't just like call the illustrator and be like, Hey, can you make a little <laughs> yes. illustration to help fix this layout problem? Yeah. When you're when you see other other artists layout like in the wild, is there anything that you look at? Are there any like key factors that you see of just being like, I like this layout, I don't like this layout. I think this is good and effective layout. And I don't think this is like, is there something that your eye immediately glosses towards that says, boom, this is good? Yeah, that's a tricky thing to have because sometimes when you see a layout, you just instinctively think, oh, this is a good layout. This really excites me. So sometimes it's a little hard to break down exactly why you like those layouts. But for me, it's sometimes using good typography, uh, using good white space. And sometimes in cases of like work boring, how it breaks those rules <laughs> to have a really compelling yeah. kind of aesthetic. So that one is a little bit of a unique case because you can't just break the rules without knowing the rules. And sometimes it's just consistency. And there is a kind of consistency to work boring, even though it's a really uh, loud aesthetic because you see the same kind of uh, themes connecting the fonts, connecting the graphics together that really reinforces the kind of game that it wants to be. Yeah, Johan is clearly an example of somebody who knew those rules really well and then and then broke all of them yeah. in this like very, very deliberate way. I love Morkborg as a as a book. Like it's just it's such a cool I, I design. still gotta like actually dive into Morkborg. I think I've I've read it or I've like flipped through it, but I haven't like done it yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then Cyborg, similarly, very visually compelling uh, a book. So Momatos, the third of these hats that I want to talk about is is as an illustrator because as a as a visual artist myself, this is sort of like what I'm always like get so impressed by when I see people's work. And I think like from Ark to games like uh, like Capybara Capers, which I just have to like find had to find a way to get get Capybara Capers into this conversation because I love the name, I love alliteration, and Capybaras are very cool. From art that is very evocative and and dark in a lot of ways down to a simple capybara illustration you do have a very distinct style i feel like when it comes to your illustration i'm curious sort of like how you think about what makes 
what makes your illustrations your style? Like what are the approaches you're thinking about when it comes to like color and different things like that? And and broadly, when you're approaching illustration for a game, how are you thinking about um, that? Well, first of all, thank you for Sorry, mentioning. that was like three questions in one, so you can take <laughs> each of those in turn. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for bringing in Capybara Capers into the conversation. Because <laughs> that game... I had to, I could not. <laughs> that game has a special place in my heart, and capybaras are the most chill and wonderful animals. So when it comes to illustrations, one of the things I love putting in is texture using brushes that are really interesting and cool and using colors cohesively as well. But those are the technical bits. I think one of the goals of my illustrations is really trying to tell a story with the image. And I think sometimes it's not just enough to depict a scene. It has to spark like interesting questions about where the scene is going, where the scene comes from, the context around it. So usually that informs the kinds of illustrations that I make. As for having a cohesive style, you know, I haven't really thought about it. Sometimes for me, it's just a fun exercise, draw whatever I want, um, draw whatever topics I want, make sure it tells a story. And then the style just happens naturally. It kind of emergent um i don't really think so hard about it so i'm sorry if that's not a very satisfying answer but it's really a fun thing to do for me i kind of feel the same way with stuff that we do or stuff that i know friends do of like some of us like we're all just like working so much on stuff that we never take a second to think and be like so what is my style what, yeah. what are what are the core tenets of me <laughs> yeah. you're just like i got to get the thing out i got to make the next <laughs> thing uh, here we go okay here's another illustration it could be one of those haunting questions as an artist i think sometimes where you like where you want to make like it feels like the the market or whatever is asking you to have a really clearly defined style and like I respond a lot to kind of some of the things you've been saying when it comes to game design and like visual art where it's like I like to draw what I feel like is interesting in a moment and I like to design the like kind of game I think is interesting in a moment and I like I know that like capitalistic forces want me to like pick pick a a certain thing and and uh and commit but but I, I like exploring around but I but I do still think yeah your 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 visual I don't want to. I don't want to lose the illustration thread. Um, but uh, <clears throat> lost it. I lost it. <laughs> I don't want to lose it, but I oh, lost no. it. Um, do you have any like? I, do you have any um, maybe for like folks? Because I think it's interesting when you are illustrating and writing a game, and this is an experience I've had. Do you have any tips for that experience specifically? Like when you're sort of illustrating your own game, does that like change things? Does it make it? easier in some ways and does it make it harder in some ways sometimes it does make it easier because when you're doing the game you have a clear idea oh i want an illustration that supports this particular passage so you already have a kind of direction on what kind of illustration would work for that particular piece which can be a good constraint as opposed to having complete freedom which can be sometimes paralyzing um as for tips on how to approach illustration uh, there could be some technical tips, like always start with a thumbnail, uh, always make sure that your colors um, blend well together. But I think 
the non-technical tip I can think of is just feel free to explore. Maybe that color doesn't work. Maybe try a different one. Maybe that line stroke could be enhanced. Maybe try doodling a different one. So it could also be a discovery period for you to branch out and try different style, try different ways of doing things. And that's where the fun of illustration really lies in, I think. Absolutely. Are you um digital digital? Art? Yeah, digital. Primarily, do you do you, do you do physical as well? Uh, not so much physical because my hand-eye coordination is actually pretty shit. <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, I like digital better for that reason because uh, I've I've a shaky hand issue at times. So we've laid out these three hats or three slash four hats because designer and writer are are like a hat with two very different colored halves to it. But I I find them very connected. And then illustrator and layout artist slash designer. Of those three, if you can, do you have a favorite um, that you get to wear in your work on on these games? Oh, wow. That's a really hard question. I want to say I love them all equally, but sometimes I kind of prefer the layout throughout more because there's something so satisfying about seeing the complete product on a page. It's kind of the... The last thing that you do, it's kind of the thing that pushes you over the finish line. So it's like, yes, I'm finally done with this project. The layout looks complete and it's very nice. Absolutely. Yeah. The finishing touches are always so satisfying. So Momatos, the 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 other thing I want to talk about while we have you here is you've recently um, created a Patreon, which will be linked in the show notes of this episode in, in capital letters and bold and with big flashing arrows too because people should be supporting your work. So I'm curious to start sort of what inspired you to create the Patreon and what is the move to Patreon allowing you to to do? Right. So it basically allowed me to share some of the work in progress stuff I have. Because sometimes um, posting it on social media can be a bit premature, but in Patreon, I can be a bit more free. I can have more intimate conversations with people who support me. And that's really a good platform for that. And I think that's what propelled me to go to the platform is to really have that kind of environment where I could post some of my experimental world building stuff and drafts of my early games. It is also very fun to have like that community of people who are the most supportive of what you're doing. Yeah. Like they're saying, Here's, I recognize the value of what you're doing. Here's a little bit of money every month. Let me help you out. Let me be part of this community. And it's like, those are the people who you most want to share your work with anyway. And it's also the people who you most want to hear from. Yeah, absolutely. Has there been any like really fun moments of that? Like, have there been people who've joined the Patreon that you've you've had like a great connection with or anything? Any any favorite moments since since getting going on it? Yeah, um, sometimes there's some feedback like, "Wow, this is great," and that's really good for my self esteem. Mostly so far, they've been very supportive. They've been really absorbing the stuff that I put out, and it's really a small but really nice community to have. And the your patrons are called. Noblins? Yes. What is, what's the story there? Because I went and signed up for your Patreon night and I and I felt very delighted to be a Noblin, but I'm curious what's the what's the story there? So it's one of the uh creatures from Ark. It's basically a green rabbit. So I think they're very adorable. They're also a bit silly sometimes. They're into math and science, but they don't have any life skills so to speak so i just like using them <laughs> in some of my stuff like i have a discord server called noblin snook also a wonderful community and they're kind of unofficially the mascot of arc as well love it love that love a mascot 
What would a character do if they knew they were part of a story? What would they say to the author that is pulling their strings? In Samantha Lee's solo RPG, Death of the Author, players take on the role of a character fighting for control over their narrative. Draw tarot cards and modify scene prompts to bend the story to your will. Each change, however, comes with a consequence, as the author may use your own words against you. Death of the Author is crowdfunding on Backerkit from May 14th to May 28th. You can find the project by searching Death of the Author Backer Kit in your search engine of choice. Fight the narrative. Defy your author. Little Wolves is a folktale TTRPG where players fill the fur of shape-shifting werewolves in a realm of fae and of magic called the Enchanted Forest. Players will craft physical masks that represent their characters and use them during play to shift between their wolf and their mortal forms. As they perform favors and complete quests, new marks are made on their masks that reflect the real physical changes that the werewolves undergo. The Enchanted Forest is deep and detailed with fey queens, courts, and all manner of denizen for your werewolves to meet. The crowdfunding campaign for Little Wolves launches May 14th. You can follow the campaign at bytes.rip slash littlewolves. That's B-Y-T-E-S dot R-I-P slash littlewolves. And you can check out the free demo and quick start at bytes.rip slash littledemo. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! Um, so kind of digging into what I'm aware of are the the two projects that you've been teasing on Patreon. I want to talk about this first one, and please correct my pronunciation if I'm wrong. Um, Children of Inanguri. Yep. And this is this this is this really really interesting game that like I I was instantly compelled by the premise of like compete for prestige atop like a massive dying creature or a massive awe inspiring creature. Like so it good. just it has that like. That it has that um, thing that instantly gets in my brain about a game where I'm like, ooh, okay, yeah, I'm into <laughs> that. Um, but I like was reading through the playtest document that you put out, and you describe it as three things. A competitive TTRPG, a cooperative TTRPG, and a traitorous TTRPG. And I'm curious 
how is this game those three things? Like, what? how does that, how do all three of those come into play? So it's cooperative because you build the world together. You are factions living together atop the same massive majestic creature. And because the creature is coming to the end of its life, you kind of work together to keep their health up. But it's also competitive. Uh, you try to be the faction that is the most prestigious, that is the one that does the most projects, the most explorations, and you kind of get points to that so that you become a major winner towards the end. But there could be a traitor in your midst, and that's where the traitorous aspect comes in. The traitor is working to undermine all the efforts and even work towards accelerating the death of Inauri. So I think those different aspects blend together to create really a lot of experiences for the players so that they could play it in various ways that they like. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I just like, I just, that sounds very exciting and I want to play it. I do really love it's competitive cooperative. You're like, oh, how can those two things work together? Oh, because there's also traitorous. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. And what's sort of the core mechanics behind, behind this game for people who, for people who don't know, give them, we don't have to give them the whole taste so that they go join your Patreon to get the full taste. But what's, what's sort of the mechanical overview of this game? So there's basically four generations and each generation, you have several actions you can take. You can build projects, whether that's for yourself or for the community. You can explore and create more details about the world, or you can even steal some resources from fellow players. And those actions can earn you or lose you prestige, which is basically the main currency of the game and what makes you a victor at the end of the game. I'm curious that that just made me think, are you like, um in addition to being a TTRPG fan, are you a board game fan? Because I feel like there's like a little bit of like, some board game flavor in here of like the hidden role and the like stealing resources. Yeah. It reminds me of like, you know, like when you're in Catan and you're trying to like take resources from people. But I'm curious, are you a board game fan in addition to TTRPGs? Actually, one of the first things I ever designed was a silly board game type, a card game type game where you try to commute home, but then you have to go through these dangerous places and you have to stay safe and make sure that you arrive home safely. So I think there's that interesting challenge of having mechanics work well that is really a focus in a lot of board games that I really admire. Mm. And then the 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 other project that you've been teasing on on Patreon is this uh, this setting Sonder, and uh, you've been set, sending some some little things out. I think the um, oh what is it called the the imaginary market? What's the market? The infinite that you've been market. A little? The infinite market. You've been teasing this infinite market on Patreon lately um, as part of Sonder, which is a a system neutral setting. You're writing, correct? Yes. And what kind of is Sonder at a at a top level? What's the what's the vibe and the style and the kinds of stories that will people will be able to explore in there? So basically, the tagline for it is it's a wondrous and lonely setting. It's basically where giants walk across um, lands in search of meaning. It's where infinite markets sprout up and you can find everything you want and desire. It's where fireflies congregate in a country where they only think about love and death 
and reincarnation. So it's all of those small, tiny things that make it fantastical. And also, not in a dark way, not also in an optimistic way, but also sometimes in a weird and lonesome way, there are things like you can swap memories, you can take on memories, but will that even give you the real experience? Is there even an authentic um, life here? And sort of these... Yeah, small things that I think really build up to an interesting setting. Love that. That sounds so fun. So these are sort of the two first things on Patreon. Do you have any other things that are like coming soon? Any other upcoming projects that you're really excited about, whether within Patreon or, or something else? So there's going to be uh, upcoming art stuff. So I can't divulge much yet, but there's mm, going to be at oh, least nice. one adventure on the horizon. And I'm really excited to get it going. Ooh, more arc. You heard it here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess kind of jumping jumping a little bit back to this idea of like you when you've made your own games, you're often wearing many hats, but you've also worked on some other projects that that we love, Sina Una, and you worked with Soul Muppet Publishing to do an adventure. How do you like working as part of a team versus when you get to kind of run the whole show on on your games and like what do you like better about either of those or what are the pros and cons of each for you? Working with other teams usually gives you constraints on what you can do, what kind of content you can put out. And it kind of puts an interesting shape to the stories that you can write for it. So you have to make sure that it aligns with what their vision is for that game. And sometimes it's a interesting challenge. Sometimes it's a really difficult challenge. You have to really dig deep and think about what does the game mean, uh, what is its vision, and how can I best enable that vision. So that's kind of a challenge that I love doing, making sure that my own skills are put into a purpose that can be beyond myself and it makes me explore different kinds of perspectives as well. Working with with other teams, as you said, kind of brings in those outside constraints. Is there any example you can think of of those restraints making you better at your at your job at, at doing at design at writing at illustration at layout definitely for tales of sinauna it's basically reinforcing this wonderful pre-colonial culture of the philippines so what i needed to write had to pull in from those elements and make sure that it is informed by a very rich and vibrant culture. And I think that's definitely made the writing stronger. It's made it more rooted in the setting and hopefully it reinforced the vision that the original team had for Sinouna. This is only, I guess, tangentially related, but I want to make sure we highlight across RPGC and this website you've created because, mm, yes. because it is such a, it's, it's this really great, community tool and it also is just a really effective tool like when I first saw it and it was called like a database I was like oh so I'm going to be able to like scroll through and find people but it does this really great thing where it it gives you a game by a Southeast Asian designer kind of on a like randomly generated like here's somebody new and like I just enjoyed like clicking through it for a while and like discovering all these games I hadn't heard so I guess, like, broadly, how did this website come to be? What inspired you to make it? And, like, how have you seen it grow? So I think it was around 2021, 2020. There was a wonderful event called Session Zero, which was a convention where Southeast Asian game creators could showcase their games and works. When the convention ended, 
I was very sad because I thought there has to be a way to preserve all of these games so that when the event ended, people could still come back and see it and explore the wonderful creativity of Southeast Asia. So that's what really prompted me to create the website. And the design of the website, uh, serving you random games that you explore something new, was kind of inspired by early internet, like stumble upon that feeling of doing a uh, random <laughs> website and being very pleasantly surprised by what you found. So that's basically where that particular mechanic was inspired from. And how many how many designers are on there? Like roughly, if you if you know offhand, I think around 75 70 plus and there are now 102 games in it i believe hell yeah hell yeah to see it have you had any like success stories from the existence of that website of people like have you heard about people discovering games or like designers who've been like oh i like feel like this helped my games get discovered or like maybe that's a little like esoteric but um any any sort of fun stories from people who've been on that website or discovered the website? I think one of the most fun stories I have is seeing um, some of the games in there become from first alpha access becoming full-fledged Kickstarter games. It's like, oh, I can see the evolution of games from conception to Mm -hmm. actual product. And it's kind of really rewarding to see that. We've been seeing a lot of traffic from the US. We get a lot of unique views. So that's really um, good to have for the website. And I think all of these contributed to it being nominated for an any last year which was a really good um, commendation to receive. We recently talked to the the team behind Gubat Banwa, Wax and Dill. Speaking of like a game that like went from alpha to now in Kickstarter, I know they've had a long a long journey with that game. And and as of recording, just passed their funding goal of just 100%. passed their funding awesome. goal. Awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, going to the moon past that. <laughs> we love it. I guess sort of working our way towards a close when you're not designing and illustrating and doing layout what are you kind of playing and reading and and being inspired by in terms of games these days so i recently went to a workshop by Mega baker in big bad god we're actually sewing little clots learning different kinds of stitches and we recently corresponded and basically she encouraged people to look beyond games just try to experience more of life looking for um, events in the community even stitching sewing looking at trees feeling nature and those are the kind of things that i really want to draw more inspiration from being more having more experiences outside of game design so that they could help inspire me more to put back into the game design so recently, I've been trying to do more sketches. I've been trying to go on more walks. So that's kind of hopefully helping me become more inspired. I really got to double down on the power of a, of a nice walk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think we all do. <laughs> a, good, a good walk is the medicine to life. It's one of those things where I've had this conversation several times with people where it's like, I went on a walk and it felt good and I'm really mad that everybody's right that it felt good because it's like (laughs) such a simple thing that you're like, it shouldn't be that easy. I guess I should drink water. I guess I should go on walks. Oh, eight hours of sleep does feel pretty good, I guess. I actually... I would love to a little bit talk about Big Bad Con and your experience as as a scholar to that and sort of like what you got out of that experience and like, would you recommend that to other folks and why? Absolutely. It was really the most fantastic four days that I've had in a long time. 
It allowed me to connect with peers. It allowed me to connect with industry folk. And it really made sure that I had uh, connections and I had the learnings from the workshops and panels it had to become a really better member of the game design community. So definitely, I would encourage people to apply to the POC scholarship and to attend the Big Bad Con. There's so many wonderful opportunities and learnings from there that I think can benefit anyone, even if you're not a game designer. What do you think were some of the like the biggest takeaways you got either from like panels or from meeting other people that you came away from and are now going to put back into your work or just into your life? So I think I was in one of the panels, Tales from Sinauna, and it was really reinforcing how liberating it was to write a setting that aligns with your own culture, how it means so much to the team, and how we're really breaking ground by enabling these stories to come out uh, from the D&D game. And I also learned a lot about writing for sensitivity, uh, making sure that stories are authentic, making sure that it is respectful and doesn't appropriate. And a lot of panels about world building, how to uh, approach the archaeological aspects and how to foster new ideas that can spark even from mundane objects. So those were the panels that were really resonating with me. And I hope that I carry the learnings even far after Big Bad Con. And are there any people that either you knew from before Big Bad Con or you met there that are people you'd want to highlight and kind of shout out to say like, these? if you haven't heard or checked out these people... Go look at him right now. Yeah, I met uh, Kara Assertion, the writer behind, I'm sorry, did you say street magic? Really wonderful person. I'm sorry. Did you say street magic? <laughs> we've got a we've got a long running bit on this show about I'm sorry, did you say street magic being an excellent name for a game? It's a great name. Yeah. I'm sorry, please continue. <laughs> Strong agree. I also met with uh Shu King Ten, so she has a lot of wonderful games as well. And Aaron Lim, who brought in a lot of games from Malaysia so that he could share them to the attendees of Big Bad Con. And I think he also got some snacks cool. for people. Always a big plus. Love snacks. Real quick on like on the practical level of the POC scholarship, for folks who are like maybe listening from different areas in the world who are like, man, I really want to go to Big Bad Con. What does that scholarship like give you? Does they, do they help pay your way to get there and things like that just for people who, who, who might be thinking about applying? So for me, it helped pay for my flight there. It helped subsidize the accommodations. And it also gave me access to the industry networking event, which helped connect me with people that could help give me some opportunities, as also opportunities to other POC scholars. So it really paved the way to empowering them to become better members of the gaming community. Amazing. So if you're listening, apply for that scholarship. You know, if you, if you want to find a way to Big Bad Con, it sounds like a, a fantastic way to do it. So 100%. I guess a broad sort of second to last question, what are the big plans coming down the road for you? Obviously, you have children of Inanguri and, uh, and Sonder, but like anything else on the horizon that you're like, looking out and getting really excited about or you've got like the the rough notes for that would definitely be the arc ventures that'll be coming out 
and interesting expansions to some of its mechanics. So that's really exciting, and I'm really excited to get that out. And as always, it's been a partnership with Exalted Funeral, who's been super supportive. And of course, the usual maintenance and upkeep of a cross RPGC, making sure it's up to date and reaching out to creators. So that's always on my mind. So we always end this show with the same question. And that question is, what are you bringing to the table? Uh, so this is like, what is a, a person, a game, a show, a resource, anything within tabletop, or maybe something that you just like that you're excited about from the world outside of this industry? Uh, that you want to recommend to our audience that you think is worth bringing to everyone's attention? So there's this game I really like called Of Promises and Paper Airplanes. It's by R.M. Banyas. It's one of the creators from Southeast Asia. So it's a game where you fold the paper into a paper airplane. So the mechanics are there. The story layout is there. And you fold it into a paper airplane because the theme is that you are two lovers who are going to part ways in an airport. And this is your way of reconciling that and coming face to face with one another. So for me, it's like a very good prop. It's very sad. I love sad stuff. And it's also very tactile. So yeah, that's that's recently something I really love. That is so smart and and wonderful. I really say that name again of promises and paper airplanes. Of promises and paper airplanes. We were just talking last night about like devastating two player <laughs> games, and that's that'll be one of them. <laughs> that's one of them. <laughs> Thank you so much, Momatos, for coming to the table. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you and your work? So you can visit me at my website, momatos.com. It's where I usually post the latest updates and samples of my illustration and layout work. And you can also visit my games at momatos.itch.io where you can download art, you can download the magus, and any other stuff I'm usually working on. And if you're a designer or illustrator or layout artist, go to Momato's website to understand what your website should look yes. like. Do it. Best example of a game designer's website and honestly like a creative's website I've ever seen. So that will be linked in the show notes. We are also going to link your Patreon directly. Go support Momatos on Patreon. Just go do it. You get access to inside looks. Like just just for the playtest document of Children of Inanguri, go right now and, and support and become a Noblin. Come hang out with me. I'm a Noblin. You can be a Noblin too. That'll all be linked in the show notes. And if you want more gamey content from us, check out the 20-sided newsletter and the many-sided media discord those are both also linked in our show notes please rate review and follow talk of the table wherever you get your podcasts and that's what the table is talking about bye-bye everyone bye-bye bye If you're looking for more great gaming content from everyone here at Many Sided Media, you should consider subscribing to the 20-Sided Newsletter. It's a free, bi-monthly newsletter for people who love games, make games, and just love making games. To subscribe, just go to 20sidednewsletter.substack.com or follow the link in the show notes.